welcome to Resilience Unraveled. I'm your host, Dr. Russell Thackeray. This podcast is a result of my fascination with health issues, resilience, performance, mental health, accountability and critical thinking, along with many of the other obsessions I bump into in my life. I spend my time working with highly successful teams, organisations and people, and this podcast introduces their remarkable stories, as well as my synthesis of the key issues, tips and strategies to thrive in life. If you find this podcast useful, you can also find other information at qedod.com or russellthackeray.com. Stay tuned to the end for details of how to order a free ebook. Enjoy the podcast. So today I'm talking to Bill Protzman, P-R-T-Z-M-A-N-N, who's a really interesting um, person I've met who was in California and San Diego. And um, in addition to being a successful IT entrepreneur, he holds uh, magna cum laude degrees in piano performance and creative writing, concertized and performed for many years with a focus on bringing music to audiences in non-traditional ways. And he's got a fascinating life working with veterans. He's had a torrid life himself and experienced all sorts of depression and suicidal type issues. And he speaks about music and music therapy and music self-care in a way that's really practical and um, and with real sort of conviction and experience. And uh, 2011, he launched a, a Music Care, which is a profit a corporation dedicated to teaching practical ways music can be used for self-care. And he's got experience in uh, helping vets and businesses and... His work was recognised uh, by the National Council for Behavioural Health with an award of excellence in 2014, which is the behavioural health equivalent of winning an Oscar. This is a, um, a podcast that roams over pain, music, suicide, depression, resilience, joy, thrash music, the rite of spring, something I really enjoyed and I hope you enjoy it too because it's been a, a real joy as a podcast to do. So today I'm very excited to be talking to Bill Protzman, who's in the States. And Bill's, um, well, why don't I let him introduce himself? So, hi, Bill. Hey, good morning, Russell. How are you? I know it's evening over there. Morning for us. It's evening over here. And where in the world are you, Bill? I'm in San Diego, which is pretty much as far on the left coast as you can get. Wow. So you been, have you been experiencing all that terrible weather and um, those terrible oh, fires and such like? <laughs> You know, it, it actually hailed so hard in San Diego this winter that it stuck. It actually stayed on the ground for about 24 hours. And I took a picture of this little tiny patch of hail next to our front yard garden flamingo and posted it. It's like, you know, disaster strikes, severe weather hits San Diego, and all my cousins are in eight feet of snow in Michigan. And, you know, <laughs> so we have our fun out here. <laughs> First world problems, I think we call that. But, it, but I mean, yes. the fires up in the, um, in the other, northern, more northerly to you in California, they've been pretty rough, haven't they? Oh, it's crazy. Uh, I used to live in the mountains, and the mountain where we live uh, has been hit by fire three times since we moved, and some pretty severe evacuation-type fires, but nothing like that one in Paradise, where, you know, many people lost their lives, and just the entire town was wiped off the map. Mm-hmm. It's, it's tragic. It is, and we talk about resilience in a sort of casual way sometimes, and actually... You know, that that's real resilience, isn't it? When, when that community bounces back, when those houses are re, rebuilt and, and that community begins to um, come back together again. I mean, it will happen because that's part of the, sort of the human spirit, isn't it? It is. It's, and you're so right. The, the, the tragedy is that it takes pain to bring us together that way. Yeah. 
but the beauty of it is that it takes pain to bring us together that way. You know what I mean? We need that. We need that connection. And I think that we're in a place in the world right now where we can do better with that. I mean, I was, I was moved to watch people singing outside Notre Dame as, as it was on fire. I just thought, gosh, when can we come together that way, you know, sort of internationally? Mm. Because we need to. We, we really need to. We've got to find that resilience more consistently. It's a, it's a really interesting challenge, isn't it? The, the fact that, and I think in, uh, recently in Northern Ireland there's been someone who's been murdered recently and someone in the eulogy at the, um, the funeral service said, why does it take the death of a 29-year-old to bring us together to have the conversations we need to have? It's the same with Notre Dame. And, and you've hit on an interesting theme there with pain, isn't it? And point of resilience is coming back after pain. And maybe we do need these sorts of wake-up calls. Maybe... Maybe we do have to have pain as human beings so we can... It sort of shakes us out of our comfort zone a bit. It does. Uh, I, I have sort of recently embraced pain as a more universal experience. I, I thought about it in the past as, oh, you know, everybody has pain once in a while. But now I think it's something that is more present and perhaps more a part of who we are. And, and I only say that based on experience. I mean, anybody can read the news. But I've spent a lot of time volunteering with veterans who are in pain from post-traumatic stress or injuries or traumatic brain injury, uh, working with homeless people who are clearly in pain because they have no place to live. Yeah. And I've met some of the most remarkable people. Russell, you wouldn't believe it, how incredible um, these people who you would think have insurmountable pain have not only surmounted it, but they've actually used it to energize their lives. Yeah. That's incredible to me. And, and I think it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we often see pain as a negative thing. Um, but pain's just, pain is a signal in a way, isn't it? And I know there's a difference between severe pain and chronic pain and such like. But it's a brain signal that people you know, ignore at their peril, don't they? And they, they, yes. they suffer and endure rather than thinking, actually, this is a message. This is something I can, as you say, use as, a, as an indicator to do something different with. We need practices for pain, you know, where we can learn to deal with it in a way that is useful. And I know, you know, athletes, for example, uh, I have never experienced runner's high. And thank you very much. It's not something that I'm signing on for. No. But when you push that hard, and I have friends who are runners, and I've read books because it's an amazing sport. But when you push that hard, you train yourself to be able to go through that place and do like 100 mile marathons. Good heavens, who does that stuff? But you can push through that pain and find the energy that's in it at that level or even at the level of like being a parent with you know kids and the stuff that they do that's insensitive. That, it creates a reservoir of pain. But if you have a resource and a practice for being able to find uh, the energy in that pain and transform it, it doesn't stack up until you're Im immobilized by pain, right? Because that can be chronic too. So yeah. my, my practice for that has been uh, playing the piano. I, I happen to enjoy music that's that's deeply romantic and oftentimes quiet, but can also have great angst in it. And I think just doing that has made me more acquainted with pain, so it's less scary, and given me a way to get into it, find the energy and bring it out. You probably understand that as a musician yourself. Yeah, it's fascinating. As it, I was just thinking as you're, you're chatting how many people have used pain as a cleansing thing and how runners actually describe that, almost that their brain is rewired when they use that pain. And I'm thinking about some of the effects of um, psychedelic drugs and um, you know these new, this new idea of treatment using minute amounts of psychedelics. 
And yes. it, has, it has a similar sort of brain cleansing function, a, brain, a sort of rewiring thing. And people, and people, you know, in you know, you know, traditional tribes, many many years ago, used to celebrate pain, didn't they? They used to share pain amongst the group. Yes. And um, you know, it's. I think I think we've actually because of the onset of medicine, we've sort of seen pain as as something to be you know eradicated or removed rather than. And I'm not you know I'm not I'm not su- su- suggesting that pain's a great thing all the time because actually you know I, I have a condition that creates a, a bit of pain and I'd rather not have it. But I yes. think I think there is situational pain that we can be using more um, proactively in life, I suppose. Yes, like the fires or um, yeah. you know severe weather, but uh, worldwide. I don't know about you, and I've tried to figure out if there's some sort of a graph that shows this. I have this sense that the world's experience of pain, incidental pain or situational pain, has escalated recently. Mm. Um, maybe since 2001, I don't know. Um, I ju- but I just get this overwhelming sense, and maybe it's just because I'm older and I get it or something, that there's more um, pain than we need. Yeah. You know, at yes, it's interesting. I'm gonna to have to have a Bill. I'm already making notes. <laughs> Likewise, <laughs> I'm going to have to start, you know, doing some research around that because that'd be an interesting thing. Because all the data actually points in the opposite direction that we're we're healthier, fittier, there are fewer wars, everything's better. But I just wonder if there's more emotional pain rather than physical pain in the world at the moment. Yes, I think emotional, and also there's this sort of spiritual wandering, where on the one hand, we have extremely fundamentalist expressions of religious belief, and on the other hand, we sort of have this amorphous thing where people describe themselves as a a Jewish Christian who practices Buddhism, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. But who's unchurched. So um, I think certainly emotional, definitely spiritual. Um, I read an article recently about this online learning program developed by the Zuckerberg Institute, I'm sorry, the Chan Zuckerberg Institute, Facebook people, yeah. uh, called Summit Learning. And Summit Learning is this great online uh, tool for teaching kids in schools, but it's being rejected by communities that uh, have received it for free because it's too stressful and it doesn't have social interaction and all the other things that are part of being human, right? Yeah. Those are just stripped out of the the online course. And I say this with great compassion because two of my three stepdaughters are doing online homeschool courses and one's just graduating middle school and one started high school. And uh, I don't know that the stress that comes from being in front of a flat screen all the time is something that we want as human beings. We haven't done a great job of balancing that or finding the antidote for it. it. And and I feel that it's busting our resilience. I don't know where the research is on that. I'm just speaking off the top of my head from what I see. Well, but, there's, there's a huge amount of evidence that um, a lack of outside, outsideness, a lack of human interaction is actually physically harmful for our well-being because actually we're, we're animals, we're social animals. Yes. And we need that interaction with other people. And we need the diversity from and conflict of disagreement and healthy debate and such like. Um, and, and it is interesting how if we are moving to a world that has more screen time, and I think we have to, we have to sometimes just avo- you know, avoid throwing the computers out of the house and saying, well, actually, let's just avoid it. It's about how, you, how do you make that work? 
how do you build in interaction? And there's plenty. Yes. There is plenty. I mean, I've done conference calls with 20 people. I mean, they're, they're chaotic. But um, it is a form of social interaction, isn't it? If, and it's better than nothing. It is. And it's giving us a way of, like, learning a new social skill. Yeah. I really hate to bring up social media, but there are really amazing aspects of social media that work really, really well. And then there's the part that makes all the news, yes. <laughs> right? And you don't want to hear about that. But um, the part that works really well is amazing. I mean, for heaven's sake, we're able to do this on Skype with, with technology that didn't exist back in the day. And how useful is that? And I mean, you know, you have done this yourself. I've had conference calls with people in China, um, the middle of, in the middle of Europe, um, America and this country and you just have to find the time and then there we all are having conversations and learning and getting different perspectives and you know that would never have happened and you know and I think musically as well as fascinating because there's so much on YouTube you know when I was when I was a youngster yes. you know first into the music world I mean you know if I wanted to understand how a piece of music worked it was either recording or or, you know, you'd go in, you'd go and watch an orchestra or something. But now you've got, you know, someone demonstrating the opening of Don Juan 50 different times, 50 different ways. And it's all there, yes. isn't it? It's, there's so much there you can engage with. The, the risk is that you just engage in a fantasy online world. And that's not so good for the resilience because you've got to, you've got, it's almost part of rehearsal. Sometimes you have to get out into the real world and, you know, engage properly, don't you? And, the, and it's the visceral process of dealing with people and such like. The biggest thing is that, um, and, and we get this with social media, so it's easy to stumble online and to make a mistake. And it's odd to me that the recovery online is much more complicated. You can lose a friend in social media over something completely innocuous that would never have happened in person. Yes. And I, I fear that we're losing our skills for resilience in the same sort of way by keeping all of our... on actions that are related to human connection online versus out there in the world. And uh, I mean, it's, it's crazy, but you've been in front of audiences too. And the funny thing for me is whether I'm speaking or performing, the number of people who are on their cell phones. And I understand that oftentimes in business conference, there's things happening, whatever stuff is going on. But I mean, you go to the symphony and turn around and you can see the little blue glow mm -hmm. all over the hall. Mm -hmm. And I, I just think to myself, wow, didn't we give you a big enough why when you came through the door to pay attention to the 100 people on stage who are offering you this amazing gift right now that, by the way, you actually paid for? That you paid for, yeah. <laughs> right? And uh, so I, I feel like our work needs to be done in the level of uh, maybe maintaining is too, um, too much of a preconception, but certainly strengthening our human relationships, the healthy human relationships, we all kind of need like food, you know, it's mm. part of our diet. And, and that's really interesting you say that, because I was very taken by, um, I've just come back from a trip to Vienna, and I went to see the music of Verein when I was there, which is, oh, you wow. know, and it's a beautiful concert hall. And um, mm. and it's famous in Viennese society from back in the day when Beethoven, Mozart, and, you know, first and second Viennese schools were working, because people used to talk, people used to boo, people used to eat, People, um, women used to, um, or people used to knit and sew and crochet. And of course, going to the symphony was part of the social interaction of the time. And it was part of the court. And what's interesting is I, I have no, and it's interesting how, you know, our non-interaction with the music now is very insular. Whereas in the past, it was, 
it was joining in almost. And, uh, you know, and uh, you know, Mozart was conducting Don Giovanni or something. People were joining in and singing along. It was more like yes. And you know, music was never meant to be stuffy in the way that's sort of become. But it's also not meant to, I don't know if it's meant to be just, if it's meant to be just oral landscape. You know, you may as well just listen to it on the radio. What's the point of turning up? Right. That's, that's I think, our opportunity as educators to help people uh, reconnect with this amazing thing that's out there. Yeah. And I take heart because even if you're there and, and knitting, for example, or whatever it is, uh, the music is still working on you. Yeah. But the effect that you could have if you engaged with that music more, less as a soundscape and more as a tool, I, I think that would change things. Yeah. It certainly has you know, kept me alive. And for most of the musicians I know um, who are alive, <laughs> it's also been a great... Uh, reason for them to continue to breathe, right? Yeah, I, I, well, personally, I believe in, in the. And obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about this in a minute. But I, you know, I think the the case for the use of music in a therapeutic context, um, you know, whether that's psychologically, spiritually, or uh, physically, you know, for animals and including human beings. I mean, the case is one. The issue yes. is just now how how you how you deal with it and how you use it, and whether it's a classical solution or a, a non-classical solution. The actual fact is that you know music is a is a vital part of defeating dementia. It's a vital part of well-being, self-care, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's it's the the frustration for me is that we, we don't seem to have a younger generation. We we don't we we seem to have a younger generation less connected to music, and with greater mental health problems. And I just wonder if you put those two things together and say, aha, maybe one is causing the other. My colleagues in the music therapy world, I'm not a music therapist, but my colleagues in the music therapy world would be waving the red stop sign right now. It's like, Bill, Bill, don't do it, don't do it. I think that's a valid connection, Russell. There's, the evidence is all around us. And let's face it, we get what we practice and look what we're getting right now. So does that mean that we need to change our practice if we want to get something else? Sure does. Yeah. So, you know, as a musician, I know if I'm going to walk on stage without practicing beforehand, it's going to be a disaster. But if I have practice, I've got an opportunity that goes beyond just creating a soundscape. And whether, the, whether you're in politics or education or whatever your field is, there's a certain level of commitment you have to bring to your craft to be able to do it well. Yeah. I fear that we're losing that commitment to the craft. Um, I, my kids range in age from my son, who's in his mid-30s, down to my own stepdaughter, who's uh, just starting high school next year. So I can see more or less a couple of generations through there. And I know that there is dedication and commitment to the craft, if you will. But it's gotten so focused, it's almost myopic. Um, imagine a doctor treating you for a foot issue and he never reads the chart to understand that you, you have lungs that have to work too and that they're compromised and that if he wants to amputate your foot, he better check with the pulmonary folks and make sure that you can survive. Yeah. But they're so myopic that oftentimes they miss that and you'll love this. Until the day of the surgery, I've sat with veterans at the VA hospital here in San Diego on the day of their operation only to learn that they can't go through with the, with the surgery because, oops, they forgot to check one other thing that, you know, has to do with survivability. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is basic, right? Yeah. And, and these are experts. There's nothing wrong with them. Medically, they're at the top of their games. But I think we've gotten so myopic that we've lost our, our, our more holistic view of one another 
and perhaps of ourselves, even to say to the point, hey, this music is doing something to me. I better be aware of what that is, because it could change me, you know, emotionally. Yeah. So, so Bill, I'm conscious that we've been um, jabbering away for 17 minutes, and I haven't introduced hmm. you and said what you do and such like. <laughs> well, you offered me that opportunity, and I, I, know. I promptly <laughs> went a different direction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well give, me, give me a bit of an overview of who, who you are and what you do, and then we can get back to the conversation. Sorry about this, but um, otherwise people will oh, be no. complaining at me again. <laughs> no worries. So I'm a piano player, basically. I played all my life, and while I have you know a sideline job that actually pays the bills, music is my passion. Um, I'm, I'm good enough, but I wasn't, by standards of concert pianism, good enough to compete at that level. There's about, I don't know, 20 concert pianists in the world who are actually earning any money. But I found that there was something amazing when people listened to the music. It didn't have to be me playing. And I got so curious about that that I spent the last 20 or so years of my life uh, learning what it is that we human beings respond to about sound and rhythm. And it's a fascinating study. And as you begin to do that work, you encounter folks like over in the UK, you guys have some amazing work done with music and in education. And some of the pioneers of trying to retain music in public education are, uh, are aware, I suppose, maybe they're still with us, residents of the UK. Um, that's fascinating work to me, because if you learn something to music, uh, like the ABCs, uh, you're never going to forget it. Mm. Music just sort of enhances learning in so many ways. And it's um, got this amazing ability, as you mentioned, with dementia and Alzheimer's and other things to, to get out in front of those and actually be an intervention and my music therapy colleagues are working hard in that space. Uh, autism, child development, ADHD. My mom, who was a piano teacher, had kids with ADHD sitting for full lessons and performing in recitals and uh, it's behavioral health care at that level, too. So this, this fascinating thing about music has, has sort of buoyed my uh, performance of it going to find audiences who are not necessarily those who'd come to recital, for example, or who would hear, go to a jazz club, or even sometimes go to hear any music of any kind. And um, in the most recent iteration of that, I got to work with Guitars for Vets, which is an amazing nonprofit. They teach veterans that are dealing with issues to play the guitar, and after 10 lessons, they get a free brand new Yamaha guitar. But just watching these men and women change as they play the guitar, it's a gift to be able to be in that space and be there when that happens. Yeah. It's so amazing to me. Same with homeless people, and I teach a, a music class for homeless people, how to use music as a tool. I've been doing that for about 10 years here in San Diego. And I get a chance also to work with people who, like myself, are suicidally ideated. And that's the most interesting work, I think, Russell, because you get to sit down with people who just don't have anyone else to talk to about these feelings of suicide. Mm and be human together. There's nothing more uh, uh, in terms of a goal or an objective other than that, just being in, in the same space and occupying that space together as human beings. Same as I do at the piano. Um, it's, it's an invitation for people to join into this musical journey that we take together. So that, that's kind of me in a nutshell. And so, and so you're, so just to help me understand, so are you saying that you're teaching people to play and therefore they're getting a benefit from that process or actually you're teaching people to listen? Well, both. In Guitars for Vets, so I'm a piano player. In Guitars for Vets, I can tune a guitar, but I can't play it. It just doesn't work for me. Right. But I know enough about music to help beginning guitar players at least get started. 
So in that case, learning to play the instrument is part of the process. Uh, same with drumming. Everybody can drum, and I'm a certified drum circle leader, whatever that certification might be good for. Yeah. But, you know, playing drums is something we all do, starting when we got, you know, our uncle gave us a drum set on our fourth birthday, and our parents got all upset. <laughs> so uh, playing is great. Listening is, is great, too. So the science on it is that the sound that touches our eardrums um, is incredibly powerful. And we want to be really careful what we do uh, when we listen to things. Um, even background music can be uh, can stimulate us in ways that sometimes we want, sometimes we don't. So becoming aware of what you're listening to is a very, very important aspect of, of engaging with music for any therapeutic purpose, mm. or even for um, for the ones that we use. You know, when we go to the gym to help us do better, uh, stay up longer. There's all those aspects of music that are so supportive of um, getting, getting and keeping your edge, mm. if you. So um, you know, listening, performing, of course, jogging down, you know, through the marathon with a keyboard on your back, just so you can have some music therapy on the way. It's silly, but I mean, who doesn't see runner listening to music these days? So yeah. there's a there's a track for that, right? Yeah. And in a very important way, that's that's a personal way of being able to keep your edge. I love the fact that music connects us, as you can probably tell from our conversation, and being offered that gift of, of sitting in the healing space with a veteran who's dealing with post-traumatic stress while they play music, uh, that's a huge gift. And if I could take anyone by the hand and, and offer them that gift and say, hey, just sit with me for 10 minutes with this guy as he plays guitar and, and see, what ha see what's happening here and how it's working, uh, that's the most amazing thing. And you can tell... Uh, you probably had this experience where someone will come up to you after a concert and they want to say something and they don't have the words, but you can see in their eyes that they're trying very hard to convey something important to you. Yeah. Uh, and, and oftentimes the words don't happen at all. They just say, Bill, thank you for what you played or whatever it is. But you can tell there's more going on. Yeah. That's, that's the experience, right? That's the thing we want to get to. And if we're doing it well, if we're, if we're responsible with our craft and we can offer this music, um, that response will happen for the people who want it and are ready for it. And it can happen in a bar, by the way. It can happen in a, at a symphony concert. It can happen over a drum circle. It, it's very interesting, isn't it? I, I, I mean, it's time for a terrible joke, but I played the viola, mm. so people used to come up to me at the end of the concert and say, please don't say that. Please don't play that again. But um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, always, there's always plenty of viola jokes to go around. Um, oh, yes. Victor <laughs> Borgen is the best one. I won't say it, but you can look it up later. Which one, which one was that, sorry? Victor Borgen. On. Which one was that? Oh dear. So, what's the difference between a violin and a viola? <clears throat> I don't know. A viola burns longer. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many sites dedicated to viola jokes. I think. Uh, so we're, we're, we're being a bit clicky now, aren't we? But why well, not? You're, you're lucky. I can't find a good piano joke to save my life. There's many, but I'm afraid <laughs> none of them are repeatable online. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, so what you've been alluding to there is really quite interesting because you're, you're sort of you're sort of highlighting three things. You're talking about playing music, which is interesting. And you know, as a as a player myself, I you you learn the value of listening, cooperation, give and take, diversity. You, know, you learn all these useful life skills. But then you're talking about the difference between music as a as an art form, but also music as a soundscape, and 
and you you know using music as a as an emotional boost as a runner or a meditation technique or a um as a therapy guide they're all sort of more and i'm thinking also about films and such like they're all soundscapes aren't they they're all really they're, they're taking they're taking a set of vibrations which are pleasing to the ear and and generating a, an outcome either increased performance and emotional reaction to people kissing on a film or something or you know if you think of i was watching actually brief encounter recently uh, I haven't seen it for ages, yeah. you know, the old film from World War Two, and, and it's just yeah. all the way through, it's just, there's the Rackman and the um, Second Piano Concerto. Yeah. And I mean, you do, I mean, maybe I'm a bit big, getting old and soppy, but you do cry. And if it was different music, if it was Jay-Z or Eminem, it, you just wonder, you know, whether that, whether that would work. You know, is that, I mean, partly it's because of its time, but also because it's just great music. I agree with you. And, there's great music today, but I don't go, and that, because of who I am, I don't go for the emotional um, depth of anything that I've heard by the, today's rap artists the same way I go for the emotional depth in Rachmaninoff. Mm. But I'm just one of seven billion people, and mm. the, the key is helping people understand what does it for them. So, uh, brief lessons. So we feel four different things, basically, fear, anger, sadness, and joy four primary emotions. So what music does it for you on each of those four things? And most people have some idea about those, but a lot of us have gotten to a place where the only music we're allowed is joy music. Yeah, true. For whatever reason. And you say, well, what music scares you? And the, it, so the way to get into that is to go back to the movies, right? Yeah. And oftentimes when people put a visual image with music, they go, oh, well, clearly this music from whatever, Psycho, let's say, yeah. um, is very frightening and it triggers my fear. So with a little help, you can get to the place where you've got music associated with every emotion that you are capable of feeling, whether or not you allow yourself to is a different question. But, I mean, think about it. Russell, three out of those four emotions are emotions we don't really like. Mm. I'm sadness, you know, that's okay, but... Fear and anger, I mean, we try to suppress those things. Mm. And I, I, again, not being a scientist on this, but I think our failure to suppress fear and anger well enough is leaking out as pain. And if we had ways of being able to find the healthy expression of fear and anger, if, if only fear and anger, I think we'd be in a better place as a human race than we are right now with our unhealthy expressions of those things. Mm. Just it's, a guess. It, it's so not, use, it, it, that's very interesting you say that. Sorry to cut across you. but it, No, it's right. Uh, but it's interesting because there's something very cathartic about the violence of music as well. And, you know, there's some, you know, you, you see people going to thrash concerts and yes. uh, in the mosh pit. And they go in and they, and they come out exhausted. Because actually, what you're doing is you're using up that emotion. I mean, emotions are for energy, and that's you know that's the point, isn't it? And exactly. That violent music, the fear, the anger, that violence that comes from. I remember years ago, you know, being a music student and hearing the Rite of Spring for the first time and having it on very you know so loud. It's one of the reasons I have tinnitus today. But um, and I think <laughs> me too. Good for yeah, us. <laughs> I, we're all musicians have got tinnitus, haven't we? So it's our it's our professional badge of honour, sort of thing. And, yes. um, but, it, but it's fascinating because that, it's cathartic to understand fear and anger because it is, as you say, a part of the human con condition. And it's about making sure that you can express that because if you can't express those things, 
either to music or through music, then it's actually very much harder to deal with that, build that emotional intelligence to, for example, the workplace, because you have to learn to express yourself in any way that you can. Exactly. And this, you know, the constraints in the work environment are huge on this. You just can't be too far outside of the guardrails. But we need to find ways of being outside those guardrails that are as healthy and safe as a mosh pit. Well, that's kind of safe or any kind of a concert where you can go and have that full experience. Yeah. And, and actually participate in it emotionally in a way that releases all the stored up stuff that's just sitting around waiting for some way out. I love that scene at the end of Immortal Beloved where Beethoven is conducting his Ninth Symphony mm. and he can't hear and he, can, he keeps on conducting long after it's over and the orchestra is kind of looking at him and the, and the audience is looking at him, will he ever stop? Mm. He couldn't hear a thing but he knew what was going on and the marvelous thing about it is that we now know if you, even if you can hear it in your inner ear your system has the same physiological response as if you heard it, you know, with fully intact eardrums. Yes. And, and that's marvelous to me because I can sit here and remember um, the opening of the Rachmaninoff 2 piano concerto and I get chills yes. just thinking about it. Yes. I, I know the experience is coming. I've practiced. I mean, I wish I could play it someday. I'll, I'll be able to play more than the first seven bars. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're the best but, ones though. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's so phenomenal. But that emotion that physiological response only comes from practice it's like an athlete who's getting ready to go on the field yeah. um, they're ready they know what's going to happen and when the whistle blows uh, everything begins mm. and they know that they're in the zone yeah. just right at that moment so it takes practice to get there and and um, people who like go to death metal concerts all the time some of the happiest people that I know some of the highest IQ people that I know yeah. are Death metal um, addicts, they love it. Yeah. Why? Well, because it lets them get all the other stuff out. Maybe it's just the cerebral stuff is so heavy for them that they need that to engage the the emotional side, yeah. you know, and the physical side and let it go. And um, those are the kinds of ways that, that we need to learn to use music. And I think if more people learn them, they'll be more engaged with them. Um, it's amazing to me the music that's available now. It's it's so incredible. There's everything out there. You know, and it's fascinating, isn't it? Your your point is really interesting because this the power, the priming power of music. So, you know, I you, if you think about, uh, I think about the Super Bowl and the adverts, you know, and the you know the organ. Yes. When you go to that, you yes. need to hear three three notes. So you know what's coming next. You're primed. You're ready. You know. Yep. You know. We know that. You know. And you think of actually, is really good for this. The Greek, the Tchaikovsky, the um, Rachmaninoff. Yep. Three or four bars, you know what's coming next. You know what's going to happen. And you think of some of the music, Hans Zimmer, the film music and the Batman films, such like you only need to hear the beginning of Hans Zimmer and you are, you're there, you're primed. So it's no, it's no surprise that sports organisations use music as a sort of a, a, an emotional trigger. It's interesting, I was talking to a CEO recently who's had um, sort of performance anxiety before... Um, before doing media interviews, because you know people oh, used to course, yeah. you know get excited and such like, and I just give them a, a, a film, you know, a music track to listen to, and you know it's that priming piece, that knowing that you know this music goes there and it's it's unalterable, and actually you can link performance to a piece of music and almost co code performance and music together. You can and you can rehearse that through coaching, and so you can use all these mechanistic um, social psychology and business things 
to, with music to increase performance. And you know, these this is not just you and I making this up. This is all this is properly evidenced and properly researched. And it it just amazes me that we don't we don't use the power of music more in you know not just in the therapeutic world, but just in an, on our in our normal way in our in our normal lives in a slightly more mindful way, rather than just having some old stuff on your iPod. Exactly. That, you know, that's kind of my mission in life. I, I love the fact that we have neuroscience that backs it all up now. In fact, yeah. I read a book called uh, Pitch Anything, I think is what it's called, where this guy has he's taken the neuroscience that you basically get from people who are in functional MRIs listening to music. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where they find the neuroscience. And he's applied it to how to go in front of a venture capitalist with, and, and win the deal. It's the same neuroscience. And if you know how to use that neuroscience, um, it, I mean, it's part of you anyway, it's just sort of figuring out the ways in so that they work well within your scene. And whether you're doing media presentations or performing in front of people or pitching an idea for the first time, or even having a family meeting and trying to get the kids to do their homework, you know, yeah. uh, the, the neuroscience works. And um, we musicians have always known that. I mean, yeah. we've been doing this for a long, long time, and we yeah. could have said to them, "Oh, well, we told you so." Which... I mean, the music, <laughs> music in shops. I mean, that, exactly. You know, it's, it affects by behavior the different sorts of music you have, and so I mean, that energy—it's just energy and vibration in a way. And and it's really interesting because actually, if you if you had people who were really down, who'd really depressed, for example, or anxious or stressed. I mean, being able to find a piece of music that you could play that either actually allows you to really thoroughly wallow or gives you hope or whatever it might be, it is that, it's that priming piece, it's that trigger, it's that way of being able to get out of the slump, isn't it? It's a way, it's a way to use music as a therapeutic intervention. Yes. That, I love that you said priming piece. That's a good thing. My uh, approach to music, based on my own life, is that I'm here thanks to music. I mean, literally, I chose to keep breathing because of a piece of music, which happened to be by Rachmaninoff. But the point is that I, the difference, instead of trying to switch my depression off, which I've learned to do all my life, I let it stay on and use the music to find out how deep the rabbit hole goes. Ah, interesting. Um, I find that to be the only way that I can get relief from the persistent sort of suicidal thoughts. Yes. And when I do that musical experience, or even when I, even if I don't have a piano available or recording available, I'm learning the practice of finding the, the bottom, if you will, of an emotion. It's scary. It's scary to do because it's not how we're taught. Like, don't be too angry, Billy. Don't be too sad, Billy. Well, I'm saying, no way, I'm, I'm going to be as sad as I need to be to find out where the gold is at the bottom of this well. And it, it, it works. It's, it's a mental um, relief yeah. to be able to know that I can go through uh, some chunk of time where I'm depressed, but that there's a reason for that, and I'm learning that reason as I go through that process. Mm rather than knowing what it is beforehand and saying, okay, well, I'm going to be depressed now, I'm going to achieve that when I'm done. No, you just have to go with it. And music is the safe and effective anyway for me, and I think for many people, the, the safe and effective way of being able to encounter those feelings we don't like, but with power after the safe experience of them. 
So and so, I can be. So you're saying. So you use music purposefully to help people with depression and suicide. Sure. Um, from my own experience, that's basically why I play the piano um, to be able to convey these incredibly heavy feelings of sadness, fear, anger, and of course joy. Uh, to an audience. It's not manipulation. It's opening. It's an open invitation to say, come on in and see how, see how this sounds. Mm. See how deep this can go into your anger and what you will find when you're done. It's an amazing thing. Right of Spring, you mentioned that. Uh, every emotion in the world in there in a brand new way. Wow, did that shock people when they heard it. It still has that ability. If you can stay with that, the results at the end... Yeah. Um, and all aspects of your being are, are just remarkable. And hey, we've got recordings. You play it any time you like. <laughs> right? Yeah, and, and 73,000 different interpretations. I mean, that's the joy of music as well, isn't it? You know, anyone can, yes, yes. Anyone can have their... Bill, I've just noticed we've been jabbering over 38 minutes and uh, I'm being incredibly disrespectful of your time. Look, no, 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 I'm I, good. I'd love to be able to point people to the, the sort of tools and resources that you've created to help others. So how, how can people find out more of your work? What, 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 have, you, what have you got? Well, I'm all over the place. Um, if you Google for Bill Protzman, provided you can spell it, you'll find all kinds of ways to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the easiest way to sort of engage right with the process is to find the music site quest.musiccare.net. That'll probably be in the show notes, and I can give it to you later on too. But quest.musiccare.net is sort of a a gateway and an invitation to find how to interact more intentionally and deeply with the music that you love. doesn't matter what the music is. It really makes no difference at all. What you love is what you love, and that's that's the most important thing. Yeah. But that quest can take you in in... A, a very insightful and personal way to a new mu- new kind of musical journey that I believe is life changing. It's changed my life. Yeah. So that's a, an offer for anyone who's out there right now. Take a look. Take a look. Brilliant. So, and uh, I know I know you've read a, uh, written a book called More Than Human. Ah, yes. <laughs> so, the human spirit is a beautiful thing, and um, through the volunteer work I've done with veterans, I got to work with a committee of people on moral injury. Um, moral injury is basically when a, a warrior has to go out and break things and kill people, and that contradicts with their religious beliefs or their belief systems. And uh, for most of us in the Judeo-Christian world, do not kill is a big thing, but war is a necessity. So how do we deal with that? Well, that that moral injury is something is a is a paradox that you have to resolve. Out of that, we discovered the U.S. Army had done a study on the human spirit. They felt it was part of readiness. If your spirit wasn't ready, you weren't ready. Mm. And if you're not ready, you can't go out with a unit because you'll be, you know, slowing the unit down. So the resilience of the human spirit, the readiness and preparation of the human spirit has become a part of the way that the the U.S. Army anyway, and perhaps others, uh, drill. Mm. Well, the committee was interesting, but we dropped the work at some point, and I felt we had a book there, so I went ahead and wrote the book and included not only the U.S. Army study, but there's been some other research done in the business world about how businesses that pay attention to their human spirit are better places to work, they have employees are more engaged, the leadership is more interesting, and other businesses like to work with you in that situation. So the human spirit is a big part of success in the B2B world. And um, it, it's been an interesting journey to say, oh yeah, music is cool, and there's this thing about the human spirit too, <laughs> So 
if you can think of it as left brain, right brain, music sort of handles that right brain thing, and this book sort of handles the left brain side, and together they're a, a holistic track, if you will, for self-care. I uh, hadn't intended it that way, but it kind of happened, so I'm going with it. Yeah, great. That sounds fascinating. I like the fact that uh, you've had the, um, what's the word, the discipline to actually write that book. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we all know that one. I've got 73 on the stocks at the moment, and uh, Paul and my colleagues busy beating me up to get on and do with it. Bill, you and I could chat all night. I could chat all night with you. Perhaps one day we can do a second version, second edition of this, because I'd love to delve into a bit more detail around some some of the sort of tactics that you use. It would be lovely to share with the audience some more practical information, because you sound like the sort of person who's had the experience of living it and helping other people so maybe we could do that another time would be glad to russell happy to share just put it on the calendar i'll be there all right that's smashing bill thank you so much for your time today it's been a joy to talk to you uh, please do take care we hope you found today's podcast useful if you did why not subscribe and listen to our other podcasts we would love it if you could leave us a review to access our resilience coaching, contact us at info at qedod.com. And finally, if you'd like to download our free resilience ebook, go to qedod.com slash free ebook. Thanks for listening.